When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Diane Lawless is my guest today. I spent almost two hours talking with her as we sifted through the various ways tragedy has impacted her life. When we initially had our conversation, it was Mother's Day this year, 2020, and she was mourning the one-year mark of losing her only child, her son. I didn't even venture there. It hasn't been enough time. Uh, Then again, will there ever be enough time to process that depth of pain? So we didn't even cross that bridge as part of our conversation. And let your heart grab a hold of this real quick. She was extending herself to talk to me, to share her heart with you at a time when she easily could have said, not now, not today. And that small sample reveals her heart that she will go out of her way to love on you with the love that she knows from Christ. Diane is all too familiar with pain and suffering. We looked at her battle with cancer four times, the backyard explosion that nearly took her life, an attack, assault, and theft that she lived through, her ride in the air ambulance, aka helicopter, after her heart attack, and much more. What we eventually settled on was her false imprisonment. She's even written a book about that experience, and I share her contact info at the very end of our conversation if you're interested in being connected up with Diane. I'll drop you right into the point at which we begin to talk about her experience that makes her a felon, a Christian felon. How in the world can God use a felon? I mean, doesn't he require perfection from us? Let's find out. You want to talk about flipping your world upside down? A wrongful imprisonment will flip your world upside down. What was the story behind that? How did you end up in jail and then find that it was a good thing? I was working as an assistant manager in a specialty store in Williamsburg, Virginia. And one night, me and one other lady were closing up. And I set the alarm and we hit it out the door, followed each other to the interstate ramp and then I took the ramp to go home and she continued off her house and about an hour later I got a phone call from the fire department they couldn't get a hold of the manager they needed to know if I could get a hold of her and and I said yeah I could but I actually wasn't able to get a hold of her so I said you know what I'm going to go up there and see what's going on because he didn't tell me he just said there was a fire up up there. He didn't say it was in the store. He just said it was by the store. So I went up there. Store was completely on fire and the store next door was on fire. And a couple of the people that worked in our store was up there. And one of them was able to finally get a hold of the manager. The fire investigator asked who was working. I told him I was and this, this other older lady was working. And 
that we'd uh, set the alarm and locked up, went out and everything. So everything seemed fine. The fire investigator asked me if he could follow me home and if I had the clothes that I wore that day. I went, seriously, he thinks I did this? I said, sure, follow me home. My clothes are, you know, at the house. I gave him my clothes and everything. Of course, nothing was found on those clothes. Right. He gave my phone number to a newspaper reporter, my personal cell phone number. And so he ended up having me charged with arson, saying that even though the other lady that worked with me said I left at the same time she did, she watched me punch in the alarm code, watched me get on the interstate. There was no way. It's, the fire started like five minutes after we left. And there's no way I could get off the interstate and get back to that store in five minutes. You know, 20 minutes would have been the, the, you know, fastest time I would have been able to get back there. The fire started at this uh, outlet on the sidewall where we had a stereo and everything plugged into that we piped music, you know, through the store. And the investigator lied on the stand and said that the manager told him that there had never, ever been anything plugged into that wall, and that was a lie. She knew that everything was plugged in there, and she would not have told him that. She wasn't even at the trial, which I should have protested at the beginning because I told my lawyer she needed to be there. And he said, oh, she'll be there. They'll have her there. And she was not. So she wasn't there to verify that stereo and, and speakers and everything was plugged into that outlet. Also, my lawyer told me that I should forego a jury trial because it takes so long and everything. I think he was just being lazy and just have a judge trial. Well, had I had a jury trial, I probably would have never been found guilty because there just wasn't any evidence. But judges don't have to go by that. The investigator also said that we carried in that store fire logs for fireplaces and that you just start them with a match and they, you know, combust into a great big fire very quickly. Mm-hmm. But we never carried any of those logs in our store. Hmm. So that was another lie that he told. It kind of makes you think, does he, should he have been prosecuted for arson? Like if he's lying on the stand, it sounds to me like he might have had a little more to do with just said, Yeah. <laughs> he was eventually prosecuted for lying on the stand. And I don't know if he's in jail now, but he was in jail. What are you thinking about God right now? You're pleading. If I, I'm thinking about myself. I'm pleading. I'm like, Lord, you know the truth. You show him the truth. And yet you're listening to this man lie on the stand and you're being prosecuted severely at this point because God's not showing up. That's how I would have seen that. I'm like, God, you're not showing up right now. What are you doing? What are your whys in this situation? What are you calling out to God for? At that point, I didn't think he wasn't showing up. I thought that I never thought that I would be convicted. I never thought that the Lord would allow me to be convicted of something I didn't do. So I didn't care that this guy was lying on the stand. My God's greater than anybody telling a lie. God could take all the evidence in the world pointed at me and then still turn the heart of the judge and say, no, she's not guilty. So I wasn't the least bit concerned. And Looking back, I wished I had prepared myself a little more for the possibility of being convicted because uh, it wouldn't have been as devastating as it was. Mm -hmm. But I just, I had total confidence that my God is greater and he would never allow me to be convicted. 
However, I did not take into consideration that God had a bigger plan for me being convicted. But when you get convicted, what are you saying? I mean, what are you thinking then? Well, then I collapsed and I'm asking God, why? I didn't do this. You know I didn't do this. Why are you allowing me to be convicted of something I didn't do? Well, then we filed an appeal and I was thinking, okay, he's just teaching me patience. I just need to be patient and the appeal will come out okay. Uh, No. I went to Disney World with my son and a couple of other people. And the day after I got home, I got the phone call from, I think it was the magistrate, Mm -hmm. who said that my appeal was denied and that I needed to report to jail for my sentence. So I was supposed to be there at 6 p.m. on Friday. And Walter was at work. And so I waited until he got home and I just broke down. I broke down and told him, you know, that the appeal was that I had to report to jail on Friday at 6 p.m. And so we got prepared. We had just built a brand new house Mm -hmm. and we were putting stuff in the new house. And so I, I spent the next couple of days getting everything over there prepared for my dogs, got the fence put up and everything and preparing my son to be without me. And he was living with uh, my parents a couple blocks away anyway. So he was already used to that because our house had burned down. My son was living with my parents because we were staying with my mother-in-law while we were building the new house. Okay. And so I got prepared and I went to jail. And that first night that I was in there, my conversation with God was, I can't do this. I can't do this. And God kept saying, yes, you can. You're stronger than this. And I don't think I slept that whole night, but I told Walter the next day when I talked to him on the phone, I said, I'm not going to make it through this. I can't do this. And then God does these remarkable things like only God can. And he put people in my life that needed me to show them God. They needed Christ in their life because I had COPD and I was on oxygen and stuff. I was housed in medical. I was in a pretty protective environment. Not only that, I wasn't just with women. I was with men and women. So I came into contact with anybody who came into the jail that had to go through the medical ward for whatever reason. I got to see them and talk to them. Hmm. So There were people that came in that needed Christ, who I was able to lead to the Lord. There were those who already had Christ, but they had fallen away and needed to rededicate their life. This one guy that came into the jail, he'd been shot in the face from a drug dealer because he robbed the drug dealer. He had accepted Christ as a teenager. But he had fallen away, and so he rededicated his life. One of uh, my Sunday school teacher would send me our Sunday school book every month. And so we would have a devotion out of the Sunday school book. When he left medical and went out to population, I gave him my Sunday school book to take with him. One of the guards came up one day and told me that he started this whole revival down in the D-cell block. (laughs) 
I didn't think I, you know, could make it through this. God knew that I could. Do you think God put you in there to do this? Or do you think that God takes whatever life throws us and uses it? Yes. I don't think God put me in there. I think that he just let life happen the way life happens sometimes. And then God takes whatever is happening and he uses it for his glory. So no matter what happens to us or around us, God can use it for his glory, no matter what it is. Even when we think it's just the, the worst case of injustice ever, God says, I can use anything. You find yourself in jail and you're not sure you can do it, but then you begin to meet people who could definitely be reminded or be let known that God loves them and God sees them. And you're the instrument that God uses to do that. What are you asking God at this time? Where are you at on the scale of, I can't do this to, oh, maybe I can. Every morning, before I even got out of my cot, I would pray that God would use me in a way to bring whoever needed to hear about him to me that day. And so I stopped thinking of myself as being in jail and, oh, this is not fair and I shouldn't be here and I can't do this anymore to, oh, maybe this is the mission field that I've always wanted to be on. Did you know what your sentence was at that time? Because I even can picture myself being on the early stages going, okay, great, Lord, thank you for using me while I'm here, but like, I'm getting out, right? I'm going to be leaving here soon, <laughs> right? Do you know what the duration of your sentence was? Yes, I was given a five-year sentence, four years suspended, so I only had a year in jail, and then um, with good behavior, they figured it would be somewhere between eight and nine months. I served eight months, three months in the local jail, and then they were afraid they were going to kill me because they sent me to the hospital a couple of times because of my health. So they sent me to the maximum women's prison in Charlottesville because it's the women's hospital prison. I saw God working. I saw him working in the jail. There were days when I was really afraid. I had a particular guard who did not like me and things got kind of hairy at times. She injured me at one point. All they did was not allow her back into the medical ward anymore. I saw some pretty frightening things in there, but I knew that that while I didn't believe the Lord put me there, had me there and was using me and that I knew he was going to protect me. And as long as I knew that I was doing something for the Lord, I was okay. I wasn't necessarily happy being there, but I was at peace. I can almost see this comparison or maybe an overlay to one of the disciples being in prison. It might be, you know, historical accounts from thousands of years ago, but it's still viable for today. Did you ever say, Lord, is this what the the apostles felt like? Um, Kind of, but I would go back and read like accounts of Paul. And I'm thinking, thank you, Lord, because they were shackled and in dungeons. And, you know, I had a bed and, you know, well, a really thin mattress and water. And I was fed 
edible food. I was not beaten with rods, all the things that the disciples had to to endure. I was very thankful that I was in prison today and not 3,000 years ago. I wouldn't say I compared myself to the disciples. I did say, tell God um, that I wanted him to use me the way he used Paul when he was in prison. So your prayer was for God to use you with that sort of impact of a testimony about who God is, even though you're in, in jail. Was your main focus on the people in prison, or did you have any sort of outreach outside of the prison, or was it just your support? system might have been outside the prison, but you weren't necessarily ministering to anyone outside the prison. The outreach did reach outside the prison because I did minister to and witness to the guards. And so one of them that I became kind of good friends with, go home and tell stories about me to her children. She decided to send her children. She never would before. She sent her children to vacation Bible school. And from there, they started begging her to go to church. And so that guard was then going to church. And I never heard um, what happened to her because I was moved to the prison. But I'm, I'm praying and hoping that she came to the Lord. What is your testimony when you're in there? What's the attitude inside the prison when you say, I'm here, I have been imprisoned unjustly, I'm innocent? Do they all look at you and go, yeah, everybody around here is innocent? Or were they open to your story? How did you approach some of those hearts, they're just jaded about life and, and also thinking that a good God wouldn't have put you there. Yeah. Well, I didn't start out conversations with saying I was innocent and in jail for the wrong reason, because you can't, you got to meet them where they are. Okay. And so they listened to me because I was where they were, where they are. I was at the same bottom of the barrel as them. So they were more open to listen to um, my love for the Lord. I was there. I was eating the food they were eating. I was in the same dirty, you know, hot cells. The air conditioner didn't work most of the time. We were in, living in 90 and 100 degree um, conditions during the summer. Wow. So I was there sweating with them. It makes sense when you say that because I believe that you have the right to speak into people's lives when you've invested in their lives. If you haven't invested in people's lives, then you don't get that right. Or at the very least, what you say has no authority in their lives and they can receive it or reject it, their choice. And that sounds like what you've done. You are pulling the same weighted sled, if you will. And now you're going to share something about your personality in the midst of these conditions. I just talked about what the Lord was doing for me on a daily basis, how he's gotten me through this day and through that day. And, and I can still sing his praises. They were able to glean from that because they were there too. And you're a real person, and you've got a real story, and you're walking it out in front of them. I think part of why I was able to get to their heart and touch their lives is because I would buy the maximum amount of candy and food and supplies that you can buy from the canteen every other week. And I shared it with those who couldn't buy anything. You have the ability to meet literal needs, physical needs, with food. And then you also have this ability to meet the spiritual need of a heart with your testimonies about who God is and what he's done for you. That's beautiful. I remember this one, I think it was about 18 or 19, he'd come in, I mean, just really ugly soul. He had stolen a car. He was always everything, very racial, 
things coming out of his mouth towards the guards and other prisoners and name calling. And he was very belligerent and he did not like me sharing the gospel with him. And so he would say some really ugly things to me. Mm-hmm. And one evening when we were eating dinner and he was being very, very ugly. And I don't, I don't even remember what he said now, but it was, it was something that the other prisoners did not like. And they were rattling their doors and trying to come out. It was a day or two later. I didn't change my attitude towards him. My attitude stayed the same. It was a day or two later. He was really complaining. He was hungry and he was just really whining to this one guard. I handed out this large Snickers bar out the door to the guard. I said, please give it to him. He goes, I'm not giving him any of your candy. I said, just give it to him. <laughs> and <laughs> so he gave it to him. Of course, he didn't say thank you or anything. Right. But his attitude changed. He was all of a sudden talking nicer. Mm-hmm. And while I wasn't able to, you know, get him to accept Christ as a savior, the seeds were planted and hopefully someday later uh the Lord was able to harvest those seeds. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think too, everyone wants to be seen or heard or known and accepted. And I think that small gesture or I can't help but imagine that that small gesture may have given him that feeling that he was seen and he was heard. I mean, he was hungry. He was making it verbal, making it known. And knowing he had already been cruel to you many times before, but yet you offer him, again, to meet his need, his physical need, with a gesture of kindness. I can't help but think, yeah, those are seeds that are getting planted for a harvest later on. I think that's how, no matter where we are, I think that's how you are able to talk to someone who who may be difficult and doesn't want to receive the word. It's more what you do than what you say that's going to affect them. Hmm. Yeah, because what's that old saying? They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So yes. that makes sense to say gesture-wise. And then what's the other saying? The other saying is, Tell everyone you meet about God, and as a last resort, speak it. So again, your actions weigh more than words. Than words, yeah. So you're in jail. You're planting these seeds left and right. You're seeing some harvest. You're meeting needs. You're loving on people. You have such a massive capacity to love on people. And that alone is the heart of God, is to not see color, to not see socioeconomics to not see labels you don't see the anger you want to love on you just want to say you know hey just a little taste of the love that god has for you you're nearing eight months in and you're ready to come out how does it feel are you ready to leave no really by the time i knew you know months ahead when my release date was going to be and so they start preparing you and you start going through these classes and getting ready and then you start saying goodbye to your friends and there were people that had not accepted Christ yet that I was still witnessing to and I was like "Uh, Lord no we need to prolong this a little bit I'm not ready to leave yet she hasn't accepted Christ and, and she hasn't accepted Christ and I can't leave her she needs me and 
you know, there was just, there were just so many. I, I lost one really, really close one that I started witnessing to the first day I arrived in the prison Mm -hmm. and I had just lost her in January. I was getting out in February and she had accepted Christ. So she's in heaven. I can't wait to be reunited with her. (gasps) There were others who also came to Christ and there were others who were, you know, teetering. I could see the Lord working on their hearts, but they hadn't given their life to him yet. And I was like, oh, what's going to happen to them? You know, is is the Lord going to bring somebody else into their life to, to harvest those seeds because they weren't getting out of jail like I was. They were still going to be there. So it was going to have to be somebody else who was um, in there that could that could do it. The church situation was terrible in there. The church situation, meaning, did they have any sort of organized religion when you say it? Or just the fact that... Sort of. They have a chaplain who is undenominational. When I was there, it was a female chaplain. She was very generic, did not go one way or another as far as towards Baptist or towards Catholic. As far as the church service go, it was mostly singing hymns, which is good. Then we usually had a guest speaker. And sometimes that was really good because it was Baptist preachers or Methodist preacher. Yeah. Yeah. And they would present the gospel. Sometimes it was people who came to speak who had been in jail and were out. So they were given their testimony. We had a really powerful one from a man who had been on death row. He was three weeks from his execution when the DNA presented evidence of his being innocent. Mm. Yeah, that was pretty powerful uh, testimony. He was a Christian. He shared how the Lord had delivered him from that, and he found the Lord after he was in prison. He was wrongly accused, too, so, you know, that was really powerful. Larnell Harris came and sang it in our church uh, service one night. That was really cool. He really has a beautiful voice, and he has a love for God, and and you can see it when he talks. Jesus oozes out of every pore of Larnell Harris. I still think that about you. If people meet you, they've met Jesus. Did you learn anything new about God through this experience? The Christian life is never a perfect life and stuff is going to happen. But I always thought that God was a person who was going to protect your testimony because your testimony is important in order to speak for me. So we can't have your testimony tarnished. So therefore, we would not do anything like send you to prison. But then once I got there and I spent all those months watching people's lives turn around from hearing about Jesus, and it became more about, oh, it's not that God protects our testimony. He protects his testimony, and no matter what ours is, it can always give glory to him. He's protecting his investment in you? Is that what you're saying? In protecting you? his investment in me and that I don't care what's going on. When you bring Jesus into the situation, mm-hmm. things change. I don't think I ever thought that on the degree that I do now until I was in this environment, surrounded with these ladies, some of them who would never, ever leave prison. Not only did they come to the Lord, but they were now singing his praises too. And they knew they would spend the rest of their life in jail, but they were going to do it praising the Lord. Mm -hmm. He changes everything.
He shows up and reworks everything. When God lets something like this happen, it would shake my faith for a minute because losing my husband, we were together a little over 33 years, that made me feel very vulnerable. I did not see that coming. Anything can happen. Not, or have you struggled with that? Has that been an honest struggle for you? No, I've never struggled with my faith. No matter what has happened, I, I don't know why. It's just never questioned in my mind. In fact, it's been always been my faith that brought me through each situation. And my first thought was always, how could someone get through this who doesn't have the Lord? Amen. Because I don't think I could make it through this or through that if I didn't have Christ, if I didn't have the peace and the joy that he brings, you know, and I didn't have the word that I could go to and, and memorize scripture to get me through this day and this moment and, and this second. What has been your most powerful um, weapon, tool, in order to walk with God so tightly? Has it been prayer? Has it been the memorization of scripture and being able to attack, you know, negative thoughts or whatever your struggle is? Because Satan knows our weaknesses, and so he knows yours, and he's going to yeah. try to get you in that. How do you stand up under that pressure? My biggest tool is that I've always memorized scripture, and so I've got all these scriptures in my brain, you know, Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Not only did he know who I was, he knew what I was going to be. He knew what I was going to go through. He knew already. And that has to give you so much comfort because he not only knows what I'm going to go through, he knows how I'm going to handle it and how it's going to be in the end. He knows how the book ends. And so that brings me so much comfort. Every time I do a Bible study, I just finished a Bible study on James. And James is one of my favorite books. If you're going through a trial, James is the book you want to read because it has so much wisdom in it about faith and works and everything. Mm -hmm. um, I just love the book of James. And um, James 1, 2. Um, okay, now that I'm going to tell you that, now I can't remember it. <laughs> Count it all joy oh, when you meet trials <laughs> of various kinds. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And I've always liked to substitute the word steadfastness with strength. Okay. The testing of your faith produces strength. Beautiful. So whenever you're going through a trial, and I... And I know a lot of people can't uh, memorize scripture. I've always had the ability to be able to memorize things fairly easy. And actually, since my stroke, I don't do it as well as I used to. But if you take them up on, on your mirror in the bathroom or in the kitchen on index cards and just put, you know, one verse for the week and just read over that verse all week long, ask the Lord to give you a verse for whatever you're going through that week. You know, Isaiah 41:10. fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Verses like that. And just read it every single day. Every time you go into the bathroom, read that verse. Every time you go into the kitchen or wherever you put that verse, I keep index cards with verses or um, sticky notes in my car so that I see them when I get in the car. Right. And they will come to mind later. Even if you don't think you've memorized it, if you're going through a trial, that verse is going to come to mind because the Lord's going to bring it to mind. But you have to commit to learning these verses for him to be able to bring them to mind. 
So you have to delve into um, God's Word. If you want to make it through trials, if you want to grow as a Christian or just grow as a person, you need to be in the Word every day. You don't have to have a Bible study that you bought from the store or off the internet. You can just open the Bible and read it. And, he comes. and the Lord will give you what you need. Especially if you're in this ongoing conversation with him and drawing him in, because I'll read the word and I'm like, Lord, I do not get that at all. And you're going to have to show me what that <laughs> is, or you're going to have to break that down for me. And inevitably, even if he doesn't speak yep. it, in a couple of days, I get this real live example. He makes the connection for me in some way. And I'm like, oh, that's what you were talking about. That happened to me one time I was reading a section. I was like, okay, I know this is supposed to have a meaning for me somewhere, but I don't know where. And it, uh, like a week later, I was listening to Matthew Chandler. I really like him. And he was speaking on that, that verse. And I was like, oh! and so I tuned up and was listening and he explained, that. I was like, oh, yeah. that's what it meant. Yeah. <laughs> I love those little revelations. So you're looking at all of this you've been through and let's just focus on your wrongful imprisonment. What have you learned or what did you learn about yourself and in that time? I learned that I needed to be more patient with myself. I can be the most patient person in the world if I'm dealing with an animal or a child, sometimes not as much with the other adults. I've never been a patient person with myself. I've never given myself, you know, oh, okay, that's okay. You'll do better next time. It's like, oh, you idiot. Why'd you do this this way? Why can't you learn, you know, this and, and, and that? I've never, never given myself the benefit of the doubt. And when I was sitting in prison, I had more time to reflect on God, more time to study in his word, and more time to reflect on myself and learn to say, oh, okay, you don't have to be perfect at everything because I've always had to be the straight-A student, the the one who could do this the best, who could shoot the ball the far, whatever. I had to be number one. And I learned that I don't have to be number one. Only God has to be number one. I can be number two or number three or number four. It doesn't matter where I fall as long as God stays number one. That's That's very strong as far as representing who God is. And that's really what it's all about because how will people ever know the heart of God unless you have the kind of compassion that represents him well. And I do believe that you have that. You, you leave prison. It was a struggle for you to leave prison because you felt like, Lord, wait, I'm, there's so much more I need to do here. So how do you come to terms with leaving? And then you also referred to your prison mates as friends. Did you stay in touch with any of them? Yes. A lot of the ones that I was close to when I was in, we kept in touch by letter. A couple are my Facebook friends. Others don't have, you know, internet or not on Facebook, but we still write letters to one another. I have lost four of them, one to suicide, and I was devastated for a long time because she was one that I had, I had led to the Lord, and she had started going to church when she got out and everything was making such great strides and growing. And I know that Christians can commit suicide too, but it just didn't seem like she was at that place. And it, and it turned out later that she, she didn't commit suicide, that her ex-husband killed her and it, it looked like suicide. And it really brought more peace to me 
sadness that I lost her, but knowing that she is in glory with Jesus and that I will see her again. The others that I have kept in contact with, one fell away from the Lord, and then she ended up in prison for another year. But she came out, and she is living a strong Christian life now and taking her grandchild to to church. I pray with her every week, and uh, I stay in touch with her. And I still write letters to the others. A really funny lady lives in Norfolk, Virginia. Yeah. In her 60s now. She's in her 60s. Okay. And, but she's wheelchair bound from diabetes and other health. So she can't leave the house, but she watches the different programs on Sunday mornings. She drives her family crazy because she's just jumping up and down in that wheelchair, praising the Lord and everything. And she just drives them crazy. But she's, she's just one of those ladies when she gets on fire for Jesus, just look out. Yeah. She's going to bring her praise and worship. But you know what though? Yeah. What does my pastor say? Don't ever judge somebody else's worship because you don't know what they've been delivered from. When they first arrested her for violation of her parole, she had a she got to jail and she realized in her pocket, her shirt pocket, is a bunch of crack cocaine. And so she entered jail with all this crack cocaine and trading that crack for um, commissary items and candy and stuff. Mm -hmm. So this is a lady who came in doing that. Mm -hmm. And now she's just getting high on the Lord and she's, you know, been delivered from all the drugs and everything. That's the beautiful story of Christ. Using anything that we have in our past, he turns it around to be used to give it purpose so that it's not just wasted. And I love that about him. Do you still have any sort of prison ministry or any sort of connection in that regard? I'm not, because I am a convicted felon, I'm not allowed to go into the jails or prisons. Okay, I didn't know that. If I am related to somebody in there, I could go in. Okay. But I can't just go in. We have a church uh, down here that does do a prison ministry. I've been thinking about writing to the uh, warden of that prison because, and if I'm coming in with the church group and all, then she probably would give me permission to go in and talk to the prisoners, but I have not done that at this time. So when the ladies are listening to our podcast conversation, I know what my takeaway is going to be, but what do you want them to know about who your God is in the midst of tragedy and pain? I want them to have real joy and peace. It's not about what's happening around you or to you, but it's about what's happening inside you. If you allow Christ to work in you during a trial, during hard times, you learn and you grow and you're better equipped to handle whatever the future holds. You are a beautiful example of that as far as maturing in your understanding of who God is in every situation, along with the fact that you're not just waiting on God to bail you out. You are learning from him and being engaged with him in every step of the way. And that, to me, is one of the most beautiful testimonies there can be. So thank you, sweet friend, for your time, for your love, for your patience. Thank you for your testimony. And thank you for your faithfulness to who God is. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, too. I totally forgot to ask you. You wrote a book about your experience in prison. How can people find your firsthand account? of what that experience was. Can they contact you? Do you have an email that people can reach out to you, purchase from you on a Venmo yes. or a PayPal? 
and then you mail them the book, where can they reach you? Yeah, they can find the book in bookstores, but I'm cheaper. Ah, very nice. What is your email address? D-Y-A-N-L-O-L-L-I-S at ymail.com, the letter Y. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have all that is familiar to them flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone.